1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Warden's Watch, Episode 86, For the Fallen. In 1962, U.S. President John Kennedy proclaimed May 15th as National Peace Officers Memorial Day and the calendar week in which May 15th falls as National Police Week. Established that same year by a joint resolution of Congress, National Police Week pays tribute to law enforcement officers who gave their lives in the line of duty. Please join us for this very special episode as we honor the service and sacrifice of fallen heroes, Captain Stan Elrod of Danielsville, Georgia, and my friend, Staff Sergeant Jesse Sherrill of Barrington, New Hampshire. It's not how these officers died that made them heroes, it's how they lived. Please join me in a moment of silence in memory of all of our fallen heroes. So this is going to begin the Warden's Watch Memorial Podcast. If anybody's been listening for any amount of time, you know this time in May uh, is Police Week, and Warden's Watch, since its conception, has done episodes highlighting game wardens that have been killed in the line of duty. And we're going to continue to do that, but I want to start off with something very personal to me. Um, I lost a good friend, Jesse Sherrill, this last fall. And I wanted to start off with him. We were pretty close. Our families have grown up together. And he started in Colebrook. And I wasn't assigned to Colebrook anymore, but uh, certainly Jesse stayed in the same place I did. So when everybody lands in Colebrook, New Hampshire, they usually started off at Hilda Littles, whether you were a trooper or whether you were a game warden. And that's how you kind of started your career in the big north country of New Hampshire. Today, I, you know, I've got a special guest, New Hampshire State Police, Colonel Noyce with me, Nathan Noyce. 
to talk about it. Certainly, you did an excellent job, Colonel, of what what you're speaking at Jesse's funeral. Uh, you hit every everything. And I always hear he was a trooper's trooper. And boy, Jesse was a trooper's trooper. Even kind of had that bulldog looks too, so... <laughs> but start starting off together and just uh working together and and jesse followed me to where i lived at at one of the houses i stayed at a house uh owned by uh, john ferreira who has the biggest heart in the world and jesse and me kind of went to family events i should say because that's what happened the ferreras became a family to us so we participated in family events, bringing our, our kids up. Uh, Jesse and I both proposed to our wives in John's house in Colebrook. And Jesse went on to have his first child there. So had a big connection year after year, spending weeks together at outings and stuff. Certainly have a huge connection to Jesse's family. But, you know, Colonel, you've been through this. And I want to bring your backstory in because I told you before, there's nobody better to handle a situation like this than you because you lost your father in the line of duty. And can you, can you talk about that and uh, share with that so our listeners can, can get a feel for your background and then we can bring it up to uh, how things are going, you know, with Jesse's family? Sure. Well, first of all, Wayne, thanks for having me. I'm very honored to be here and and certainly very honored to be able to talk about, uh, you know, the type of man and trooper that that Jesse was and the legacy that he leaves behind, especially this week. Uh, You know, as we um, as we all know, the 15th of May every single year is National Peace Officers Memorial Day, you know, and and the whole week really symbolizes um, the relationship that law enforcement has with the communities that we serve and how that relationship is, is critical. Um, you know, I grew up in a small town of Madison, New Hampshire, just south of Conway, uh, on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, really. And I grew up in a state police family. Uh, my father was on the job. My uncle uh, Steve was on the job in New Hampshire. And their other brother, Charlie, was a Massachusetts state trooper. So um, I was very fortunate to, go, to grow up uh, around a lot of men and women who really dedicated themselves to one another, to their families, and to their communities. And um, in 94, <clears throat> my father was a sergeant, and uh, he was shot and killed at a, um, at a, a SWAT call in Guilford, New Hampshire. He was a 17-year veteran at the time. He had actually started the New Hampshire State Police Field Training Officer Program, which he was very, very proud of. Um, and he really just loved uh, being a frontline leader. That's, that's what he loved the most. Uh, so I was extremely fortunate uh, when the day came that I had applied for the second time for this organization. I think that's something that, that I know uh, a good friend of mine, Captain Brendan Davey, loves to tell all of our recruits that have come through it a couple of times that it took me a couple of times to get through it and him a couple of times to get through our hiring and process. Me. There you go. So, uh, so I guess it, you know, it really tested me personally to say, do you really want this? Do is this what you want? And if so, you know, you need to be sure and you need to to give it a full effort. So, so I was fortunate enough in 2001 to get on. So that is where I met Jesse Sherrill for the first time. Was at day one of the 127th New Hampshire Police Academy. So uh, I'll tell you, he um, he epitomized epitomized strength. Uh, just a genuine smile, 
uh, determination, and he was just a, a fierce competitor, you know, much like I commented uh, during his service. And, mm. and we're all certainly better for having known him. Um, no just the consummate professional, a true family man. And uh, he, was, he was certainly great at his trade. Yeah. No, he, even after I retired, he would call me when things came up on the CAD, being down in Troop A. He always kept an eye on Troop F. Matt Holmes was struck by an ATV, and he called me shortly thereafter and told me Matt had been hit, and there was a helicopter en route. And being a former lieutenant not that far out, I just sent Mark uh, Ober, who was now the lieutenant, a quick text. If you need anything, let me know. I can do anything. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I wanted to send him, just to let him to know I was here if he needed something. So... But and that that's the way he was. He 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 knew he knew what I wanted, what I would want to know. And you know that was his first thing when he heard that or saw that on the cat. He's like, I gotta let Wayne know, give him a heads up. And he did that constantly through our careers. <laughs> hey, do you know this is going on? Hey, do you know that's going on? And just uh, I think it just epitomizes the relationship in rural areas between law enforcement agencies. I think the more populated cities as you get, we don't interact as much and we don't rely on each other as much. But I can think back to many a call that Jesse and I were on. I was backing him up or he was backing me up. I, I remember one of the first times in Stratford when he came, uh, actually Colonel Jordan was there too. And after we got everything resolved, he looked at me, he goes, I, I didn't think this, this stuff existed in New Hampshire. <laughs> Yeah, it was just a, you know, a, a crazy out in the woods type thing. And he just, he thrived in that atmosphere. I mean, definitely all the troopers and Troop F uh, thought the world of him. And he was so detailed orientated. And, and I'm totally the opposite. I shoot from the hip. I know it. Um, my sergeant always dotted his I's and crossed his T's, which made us a really good team. And Jesse would have been that really good team member for, for me because of how everything was meticulously done. As an FTO, I just thought, man, I do not want to ever be Jesse's trainee because he was always so boom, 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 boom. This is the way it's done. This is, a, and then if you didn't do it perfect, back to the drawing board you go and, and we start over again. Uh, but to, to be trained by him is to, to produce a high quality product in the end. And I saw that time after time again. So yeah, he was, he was definitely a, a trooper's trooper. And that always sticks in my mind w with him because I, I think he, he was the poster boy in my mind of that. And uh, all the conversations, even though we had different agencies still working for the state, we had always had uh, good conversations regarding both sides. Um, you know, at the night after the fire when everybody else went to bed, it was great. Yeah, so, um, you know, when this happens, I mean, Jesse was killed in a car wreck on 95. And I, not even a car wreck. I'm not going to say car wreck. Can you, can you go into a little of what happened for my listeners, Colonel? Sure. I, I, you know, to tell a little bit about it, um, you know, Jesse was working a construction detail just about a half an hour or so after midnight uh, into the 28th. Um, his cruiser was struck from behind by a, a tractor trailer unit. And so, um, you know, I think really at that time, it was a moment for the state police to ensure, first and foremost, that, um, you know, the Cheryl family was taken care of that we were providing immediately uh, whatever whatever they needed. And then really secondly, um, what our troopers needed at the time, uh, what the responding police agencies may be looking for as far as support. But uh, you know, anytime you have a, a line of duty death as significant as that, that is the 10th 
uh, line of duty death that the New Hampshire State Police has seen since 1937. And, um, you know, it's it's those critical moments uh, during that time and in the months afterwards that any law enforcement agency really shows who they are in their core, you know, what, what we really stand for. And, um, and uh, I'm extremely proud to say that I think the men and the women of the New Hampshire State Police really uh, stuck together and became a, uh, an incredibly tight unit in support of, of the Cheryl family, who are really, really a remarkable family. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, being with them as long as I have, uh, I've seen them <laughs> definitely grow up to, together. And yeah, I would, I would totally agree. Uh, Jesse uh, being the baseball coach, uh, the, the ultimate dad driving everybody everywhere, doing everything. You know, our schedules hadn't meshed in a while. We were missing things and they were showing up at things and uh, just a very busy time in, in their lives for, for sure. Uh, and, you know, it, it kind of coined our Massachusetts family, uh, the Ferreras and us. And uh, I always used to tell Jesse it was, uh, and we both have said it the same, but the experiences we had with John Ferrer were kind of crazy, and we were glad each other was there to be a witness. And, you know, that's one thing. If Jesse said it, it was the truth, and everybody believed Jesse. So thank goodness. Not so much me, but if Jesse was there to confirm all the things. And we happened to have this thing with a pig head, and I don't ever know how it started, but John used to do a pig roast. And the first year, the pig head went missing, and I think it ended up the hood of a car and might have caught a little fire or something like that, smoke coming out. And then the, the next year, I think it ended up in my bed. And this pig head came kept going around and around. So John had the idea that we would take his helicopter and drop it in his buddy's pool, uh, Crass. So Jesse and I get in his helicopter. And Jesse's on the outside because he's the ball player. You know, he should be the better shot with a pig's head. So, <laughs> so and we, we attempt to drop this uh, pig's head out of the helicopter into the pool with uh, John's buddy Crass watching. And Jesse misses. And I'm like, hey, you missed. He's like, you try dropping a pig's head out of a helicopter and see how you do. <laughs> and so the other thing we had, we had, a, we had a, a five pound bag of flour that we brought with us. And uh, we decided that would be a, a good thing to drop on Kratz if we missed the pig's head. And uh, so we, we dumped that out. But we, what we didn't realize is that the rotor wash would make a, a total mess. And we might have, but we, we didn't realize how much. And anthrax at that time was something. So the police got called on the helicopter, dumping white material out of the, tr out of the helicopter and uh, thought it was, might be anthrax. And uh, yeah, so we had, a, we had a little talk with the local PD about that. So, but again, it was something, something that we experienced together that you, you, you couldn't. And, that, and I, I got to actually, Colonel, I got a little confession here too. Um, Nicole's been after me a while. She, she, she suspects me of this pig's head incident as well. So one year we saved it. And it wasn't just me involved. I want to say that. So Nicole, when she listens to this, it wasn't just me. Um, so the pig's head, we, I saved it in my freezer one year. And I drove it up to Colebrook to just see where Jesse was staying. I put it in the freezer about uh, where you would look at it because Jesse and Nicole uh, were in Florida with the Ferreras. So I knew that. But I also knew Jesse was well-connected, and he would know if I was in the area. So I didn't want to expose myself, so I drove my snowmobile with this peg's head up. And, uh, they got, and I actually called from the Ferreras to John's phone, and I said, hey, uh, it's done. And then he shows Jesse that there's a phone call from his number, and he's like, the guy just said it's done. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
Jesse and Nicole get home. Nicole does her normal routine. She goes down and she gets, uh, I think it was waffles out of the freezer and she opens up the freezer and the pig's head is staring her in the face and she starts screaming at the top of her lungs as Jesse comes flying down the stairs in his underwear with his 45 in his hand. So, <laughs> but she always suspected me and I denied, denied, denied. So I guess on this podcast, I, I had to share a few of these things that, you know, Jesse and I got to experience together and had a lot of fun uh, uh, doing that. So to kind of to personalize it. So, but, you know, it, it's so tough. I mean, boy, when you list the last three troopers, all three are friends of mine when you mm-hmm. did that. And that, I think that at Jesse's funeral hit me the hardest. So, Yeah. It's tough. Yep. It's a tough thing. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, you got Scott and Les who were, mm-hmm. were so, so well known and, and, uh, and Jesse, who's the same. You yeah. Know, and, and uh, just just remarkable men in their own right, and um, you know it is uh, the the legacy that they leave behind is uh, is quite remarkable. Hmm. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, yes, Scott and Les. Uh, I had worked with Scott two days before he was killed, and and Les, man, uh, people say when you, all the people, listeners know my laugh, and they say I get here a lot that I laugh like Les Lord. So that <laughs> that always cheers me up to hear that, and I hear that in Colebrook often that, that I sound like Les Lord. So this is definitely a memorial podcast for me. I, I couldn't. Couldn't let it go, even though it's Warden's Watch, uh, to highlight the relationships the game wardens have with other agencies. And in New Hampshire, more so with state police, because unlike other areas where the sheriff's department covers a lot of the rural areas, state police in New Hampshire covers a lot of the rural areas. Um, so when there's a call to a remote area or something, you know, the state police go, you know, suspicion game back them up or vice versa. Uh, and that's been just an awesome relationship and something, you know, I'm very proud of on my tenure that, that I kept and I can call numerous troopers, my, my good friends. And, uh, even though they think I'm a little strange cause I was a game warden, that's okay. <laughs> and that's quoting Paul Rella. So <laughs> Anything in closing, Colonel? I know this is this is a tough time for you. That's probably the probably the worst thing for a colonel is to to have a trooper die on his watch. Yeah, it's um, you know, Wayne. I guess all I can say is uh, everything happens for a reason. To have the honor to have been just happen to sitting in the chair that I sit in uh, when we lost, you know, Staff Sergeant Jesse Sherrill. I really wouldn't trade that for anything as far as my state police career goes. You know, everything happens for a reason. And um, I'm honored to have been in a position to really ensure that that we did the best that we could uh, at that time to honor him, to honor his entire family. And, um, you know, I, I think that you're 100 percent right. I think the relationship uh, that uh, Fish and Game has and, and the Game Ones have with the New Hampshire State Police and the troopers that we have is really special. You know, we're, we're an agency where from troop to troop, you know, you could have a trooper on an interstate in Manchester. Uh, and then 20 minutes later, they are four towns West in a town with a population of 2000, you know, or less. And, and we're it. And then as soon as you get North of the notch, you know, it's, it's really what it comes down to. And uh, I, I can tell you, we're extremely fortunate 
for that relationship that we have. So, so thank you for all of your time that you spend serving your communities and, uh, and thank you for being so good to us. No, oh, and thank you for being there for the Cheryl family. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, but they, they speak very highly of you and I really appreciate those efforts because I don't, sometimes I don't think, uh, everybody's equipped to do that job. And I've seen, you know, through the years, I think we're getting better at it. I think we we have improved over the last 20 years on how we deal within the line of duty deaths. And thank you for embracing it. And thank you for honoring Jesse. Well, certainly honored to do it. Thank you, Wayne. On this Warden's Watch, we're remembering Captain Stan Elrod of the Georgia DNR. And today we have with us Major Stephen Adams and Lieutenant Judd Smith, also of the Georgia DNR. And they're on a special trip that they're going to be talking about. But first of all, Stephen, uh, can you talk about uh, Stan? Give us kind of the history and, you know, your relationship. Uh, and I always remember it's, it's not how they died, it's how they lived. And that's what we want to bring out in this podcast because we want to share those special memories that we all have of Stan and uh, what he was all about because uh, he was certainly, I just met him once very briefly, but I, he left a, a lasting impression on me. So thanks again for joining Warden's Watch. Well, thanks for having us on Warden's Watch. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you today, and it's an honor to talk about a, a great friend and honestly a mentor that both of us have had for a long time, and we're just uh, we're excited to, to talk about him. But uh, I guess a little background, Stan and I are roughly the same age. Uh, he was just 50 uh, when he passed, just turned 50. We started with the department, both of us, in 1993, and we grew up one county apart. I grew up in Northeast Georgia and he was the county below me. We were rivals in high school, although we didn't know one another until we started with the agency. And we we met <clears throat> very soon after we uh, we both came to work with DNR and, and became fast friends. He was just, uh, he was a great guy. He was a game warden's game warden. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've told this story several times. I, I thought he was probably, you know, one of my best friends and is, was one of my best friends in the world. But after he passed away and we started talking to people, I found out he was best friends with a lot of people. I almost <laughs> felt like uh, he was uh, cheating on me or something. I was like, mm -hmm. how, how is he the same guy he was to me to all these other people? And and that was what made him special. Um, we got, you know, probably a lot of stories to to talk about and, and fun times and all the good work he did and some of the things that uh, we're trying to carry on uh, in his name. But that's, that's sort of our history. We, he and I worked, uh, we never worked in the same work unit the whole time. We worked in the same region, but never the same work unit. He never worked for me and I never worked for him. That's probably what kept our friendship going. We both kind of opinionated. Yeah. He was just that guy that he was always there for you. He uh, accepted everybody for who they were. He was a, a value-added guy. You could do anything, and if Stan was around, it was going to be more fun. There'd be a lot of entertainment, be a lot of insight, and just just a great all-around guy, all-around guy. And I'll let Judd talk a little bit about yeah. his experience. He's got a story with him, too. Mm. Yeah, my, mine's a little bit similar, actually, to, to Stephen. So uh, I guess the cool thing about us is that we've all worked together over the years. I've uh, worked with Stephen uh, for years on and off part of the time as him as my boss and part of the time we were just working together uh, and I, I met Stan in 1995 I think 
uh, I wasn't even working for the law enforcement division at the time. Met Stan and I was trying to, that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a game warden my whole life. And I uh, met Stan because he happened to be the county ranger where I was working. He had just came to work. Uh, so he kind of he kind of helped guide me along the, the process because he had just came to work with the department uh, and got to be friends with him uh, way back then. And before it was over with in a matter of just a few years, uh, I ended up being the county ranger in Lumpkin County and Stan was in White County and they happened to adjoin each other. So, as you know, you, it's the closest thing, I guess, to a, a partner that a game warden has because traditionally we don't we don't do the same thing as other uh, law enforcement agencies. We're kind of out there by ourselves most of the time. But when we did work together, you know, you end up working with the guys in your adjoining county. So for years, um, me and Stan were, were working adjoining counties. So we worked together a lot over the years, which led to us doing a lot of other things also. You know, we hunted together, we fished together, hung out together, not at work. Uh, our families did some. That's, you know, that's how we got to be so close over the years. And then uh, what we're up here actually in Virginia right now doing is another thing that uh, that, that involves Stan also. Uh, so I'll just tell you the backstory behind that. In 2007, I had actually went to our headquarters and took a, an administrative job. And before long, I, I was I went from working in the field to sitting in the office. And I thought, this is killing me. I've got to I've got to change. I got to change what I'm doing every day. I got a lot of pent up energy. Hmm. And uh, Stan and myself and a, a a friend of all of ours who's a, a retired trooper now, who was a who was a cyclist. We were sitting eating supper one night, and he said, "We we ought to you ought to just get a bike, and you ought to start going doing this uh, thing called the Police Unity Tour." And I said, "Well, what is that?" Now, granted, you got to remember, I didn't even own a bicycle. <laughs> he said, "Oh, it's a it's a ride that that raises money for the National Law Enforcement Memorial." I said, "Oh, that sounds cool." And uh, Stan kind of said the same thing. And I said, "Well, what is it?" And he said, "Well, they ride from Virginia to DC. It's like 250 miles, and in a matter of three days." And I vividly remember laughing at him. And I said, "That's the stupidest thing I think I've ever heard." And so Stan convinces me, like literally a week later, me and Stan are in a bike shop by myself, <laughs> and this will be my maybe my eighth time riding the police unity tour wow. me and stan came for the first couple of years um and then he skipped a year or two i came back and then we ended up coming back together just a few years ago and then we had actually talked about coming back again and riding the tour again right before he was killed so he was planning to come back with us again and then obviously got killed and uh and that's where Stephen kind of gets roped into this thing, <laughs> as well as Wayne, uh, another uh, buddy of ours at work. And over the years, we we brought multiple. Uh, Lord, I, I can't even remember how many how many guys have came up and and ridden the ride to support the memorial over the years. And then last year uh, we rode in memory of Stan. And then again this year we'll be riding to DC. We had to, we had to change our plans a little last year because of COVID and ended up going to uh, Florida to the American museum hall of fame. If, if I remember yeah. I'm saying that right, I think it's the um, police place in Titusville. That's right. It's the police police museum in Titusville, Florida, which was mm -hmm. a little bit of a change, but we're going back 
to the to the memorial in DC this year. That's a that's a long story to say because because of Stan, <laughs> I've been riding bikes for years. Uh, I've did all sorts of other events. I've did some some half Ironman events. Wow. Uh, my wife started doing a lot of that stuff, and not all to say, look at what I've done. I say that to say, had Stan not said, hey, let's go do this thing. It sounds like it's hard, but it sounds like it's a, it's a good thing to do. And and drug me along. I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been doing any of that over the years. And again, here's Stephen, probably who thought like I did. That's the stupidest <clears throat> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. So just to kind of wrap the tour up, but I'll I'll tell you, I was going to do it with them to start with in 08. I was working down on the coast, and we were talking back and forth on the phone. And Stan had convinced Judd to buy a bicycle, and they were riding some, and I had one. And, I vividly remember we were talking on the phone. I got about 12 or 14 miles from the house and I didn't take a cell phone or anything and had a tire blowout. And I wound up walking home and hitchhiking. <laughs> and thing. I called him the next morning. I said, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I recall that now. I'm it's not, been a while. <laughs> not having any part of this, but uh, yeah, it's funny how, you know, even though he's gone, he's still got a lot of influence on us. Mm. Um, we were standing in his yard the night he got killed and Judd and Wayne and I kind of made the promise that we would do this in his memory last year. And then uh, his stands with a Julie gifted me his bicycle. He's ridden it in this. So tomorrow I'll hop on his bicycle and, and ride it again in the tour. But, you know, even though he's gone, he's still causing us to sweat and, and have I, pain and misery. So, yeah, I didn't, even, I didn't even mention that myself, too. I've actually got another bike that Stan had. Uh, he, he kind of quit riding for a few years, and I've, I've convinced him to sell me his bike. He had a really nice road bike, uh, and I convinced him to – to sell it to me at a deeply discounted price. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, so I'm riding one of Stan's bikes and then Stan, uh, uh, Steven is also riding one of Stan's bikes. So that makes it, you know, just a little more special. But he was, you know, he was a good guy. He was involved. Anything he did, he did really well. <clears throat> and what's funny is he's not that guy that nobody notices. Everybody knows Stan, whether it, you know, was it at work and we've got about 200 game wardens. Well, Everybody in the whole agency knew who Stan Elrod was when he was a, uh, we used to be called Rangers, now game wards. When he was just a field game warden, he was a game warden's game warden. He, he liked to, uh, he liked to catch bad guys. He liked to educate the public. He was just an all around model guy, but everybody knew him. The police unity tour, everybody knew him. And then that sort of transcend into, transcends into some of the other stuff, like the outdoor dream foundation, hmm. um, was a huge huge part of so he was just that guy that everybody knew that everybody thought the world of and um and he's still still doing good things today so if you've never heard of and probably some of your listeners don't know the outdoor dream foundation it's a it's a foundation that's that's kind of similar to uh make a wish for terminally and, and severely ill kids but make a wish years ago they quit offering hunting and fishing and that sort of related hmm. uh, trips to their kids. So Outdoor Dreams came along, and they are a, they're a nonprofit that's all funded by donations organization that provides hunting and fishing and outdoor trips to to these kids. And they're they're actually based in South Carolina. Stan got involved with them years ago. He was he was heavily involved. He ended up serving on their board later on, but. Lord, I don't, there's no telling how many kids that he has went along with. 
uh, that have that have ended up passing on, you know, and, and took them fishing, took them deer hunting, bear hunting, uh, mm. just everything under the sun. And and we thought we missed him, but man, the Outdoor Dreams Foundation, you know, yeah. it, that was a big blow to them because because again, Stan was the guy that everybody knew. You know, you talk about Stan, and, and they knew right who you're talking about. I, I vividly remember having a conversation uh, with his wife Julie. And she was talking about Stan and, you know, how you wrap, wrap him up or what you would think about him. And influence was the word that she was using. She said he had a lot of influence. And and with that, he certainly did. And just an example of that with the Outdoor Dream. I think he started in like 04 was the Outdoor Dream Foundation started. Um, he wound up getting the law in Georgia changed. You know, our, our whole agency is super supportive of this program, but, you know, we're in the law enforcement business and we couldn't be violating the law regardless of how good the cause was. He was a champion of a law in Georgia we call Taylor's Law that lets uh, severely sick and injured children hunt with exceptions to seasons and bag limits and either sex or those kind of thing and license and hunter education requirements. Uh, while in the supervision of somebody and he was uh, he was adamant about that and that's that's a lot of who Stan was he was he was very a fierce of things but it was never for him it was always for some somebody else just a, a couple of quick stories on the Outdoor Dream Foundation Judd and I started our social media page and he uh, he had sent me a, a picture of one of these Outdoor Dream Foundation hunters one time and well, I had, I posted it and on the post I put, and it, Stan was not a Facebook guy. He wasn't a big social media guy, but he found up, found out a way to creep on the page and see it. But I terminally ill kid, granted, we were, we were wonderful friends. We talked real plain to uh, one another, but he, he saw that and he called me and he lit into me. He was mad. He said, let me tell you, they're not terminally ill. They're just bad sick. Terminal means they're going, it's, it's over with. We're not saying that. You can say whatever you want to, but don't call this kid terminal. Well, the, the child unfortunately passed away a few months later, but he was just all about giving these kids hope hmm. and having a good time and whatever it took to do that. One of the, the other things he did, it was a, a kind of a neat event. Every year, the opening day of bear season in North Carolina, he would take a kid bear hunting, Beulahville, North Carolina. And he had told Judd and I all these stories about – Bear hunting, bear hunting, bear hunting. Well, you know, he uh, he got killed September the 3rd, and Brad Jones, the guy that's over the Outdoor Dream Foundation, he went up getting hold of me. I'd never knew him. Stan tried to get me to come to banquets, and I hadn't, and hadn't got involved. But Brad called me and said, hey, can you take this kid bear hunting? And I'm like, sure. But it just, uh, I was like, this is a really sick child, and I'm going to take them and a parent to another state and we're going to hunt bears and this Stan had talked about some of the uh, events. They'd actually put a kid in a cattle trough and drug them into the woods to kill a bear. They hunted with dogs and it was up a tree, but he went to the end of the earth to make sure the kid had a good time and thought, well, we'll see how this goes and um, met the kid. They had heard of Stan and we talked about him all the way up there. We get to Beulahville. Stan had been doing this, I think, for 16 or 17 years, every opening day of bear season in North Carolina. They had the truck out of the garage, and they said, Stan, park right here, and you're up here doing this for him. You get to park in our garage. The house is yours. Now, they live there. This family has a hog farm, and they're wonderful people, and they're like, 
the house is yours. You have your own bedroom upstairs, anything you want to eat. If you don't have something you want here, the wife's going to go get it. Cause that's just how we did. We're staying. And then I find out there's like 30 people show up the next morning and they're, we're in, we're five hours, six hours from the house. And they're all best friends with Stan, just like me <laughs> bear hunting with this dude. And he had trained those people when bear season opens opening morning of bear season, their whole job is to get whoever outdoor dream uh, foundation brings up there a bear. And normally by about eight o'clock in the morning, the kid has a two or 300 pound bear that they've harvested. So awesome. that's just, just some of the stuff. And I know we're kind of rambling, but uh, there are just so many stories to tell about Stan. And, and Stephen makes a, he made a real good point a minute ago. And Stan was one thing that he did was he was always looking out for other folks and outdoor dreams is a, a, is kind of a, the same along those same lines, but even as a, a, a game warden, you know, he was a field sergeant, even, even before, uh, he was, he was one of our region supervisors, uh, when he was, when he was killed, but he was a field sergeant for years. And he always made a point to, to really look out for his guys. He was always making sure his guys were put, put in for awards. He thought he, he lived by the, the motto of if you're going to do it, we're going to try to be the best. And, and mm. a lot of his guys won a lot of awards over the years with our departments or with our department because he simply made sure that they were put in for it. You know, he wanted folks recognized for what they did. Uh, and then another, uh, I think another example of that, and a lot of our, our guys don't even know this because we have so many new Rangers or new game wardens over the years back in 2007, eight, nine, I can't even remember now. Uh, we started an FOP chapter in Georgia and Stan called me and said, Hey, I think we need to do this. I think, I think we need to have a voice for our guys, you know, a, a united voice for our guys. And once again, uh, he suckered me right into the mix. And <laughs> the next thing I knew, uh, you know, me and Stan were spending our off days at the Capitol lobbying for better conditions and better pay and everything else for our, our guys in the field. And he spent untold hours. He ended up on the uh, serving on the on the board for the state uh, FOP later on. Uh, and, and as a result of that, uh, we were able to, to get a lot of changes made uh, for our officers in the field. Uh, we actually ended up, we used to not even be our own division. We were the law enforcement section and we were under another division uh, of the department, which, hmm. which made, we were less autonomous. Uh, that way it was harder for us to get changes made to do anything because of that you know it's it's another level of, of government bureaucracy unfortunately uh, and as a result of a lot of of what Stan did and I kind of helped you know to come out the best of my ability over the years we ended up becoming our own division uh, we ended up getting uh, substantial pay raises for our guys and a lot of our guys have benefited because of the work that Stan did related to that over the years. And like I said, unfortunately, a lot of the guys are reaping those benefits and they don't even realize, you know, that it happened 10 years, 12, 13 years ago. Oh, I totally agree. And we got to remind them of what the officers that came before them have done for sure, because there was a lot of uh, paving going on, especially sure. during that time frame. I think we were all uh, second rate law enforcement, so to speak. And I, I think 
now nationwide, we people are recognizing, you know, from the FBI on down the skill sets that game wardens have and are starting to use those to their benefits because they're the police in the woods. That's where they operate. And if they're not using those resources and using them wisely, then they're losing out. And I'm sure I'm sure your guys for years were, were a lot like us. We show up at an event, we uh, do what we do, and then we kind of disappear. Hmm. And, you know, people don't know who you are. Obviously, hunters and fishermen know, but the general public, the general public, a lot of the time, they don't know who we are. They don't know what we do unless you put yourself out there. And what we what we were doing and what Stan was pushing mm-hmm. over those years helped to get us out there where we are being seen now. And then, you know, obviously there's TV shows and everything else now with game wardens on them. And a lot of people realize a lot of the stuff that we do is not what they envision game wardens doing. But you're right. You know, it's people like that that have paved that way. It wasn't super popular in the agency. There was no guarantee of success. There was uh, there was some retribution even threatened. There was. <laughs> at, at times about uh, stepping out. But uh, we that's survived what, it. Yeah, that's what a, a true leader does. And, and yeah. that's, you know, go back to that influence, um, changing laws, helping with the division. And the thing about him he would sacrifice himself for the betterment of everybody else. I, I never heard, and you know, I was close. I think he would have told me, I never heard, Hey, I'm going to do this. So I'll get, or, or weak, you know, uh, he was going to help be selfish about it. He was always self- sacrificing himself because you know, it was the right thing to do yeah, because it was the right thing to do for other folks. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. No, I find it, uh, Really, and I don't even know what the word is, but to have Stan start you on this bike ride and then doing this bike ride in his memory is just, uh, yeah, something I didn't expect today on this podcast, to be honest with you. Uh, it's really uh, connected, and I think it'll connect a lot of other people because he was that example to start. You know, he got you, Judd, involved in it. You guys are riding two of his bikes, and you're going to go see his name on the memorial. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of all the all the things he did, a great game warden, awesome friend, um, FOP president, the Outdoor Dream Foundation board member, master storyteller and everything else. <laughs> uh, probably his his greatest accomplishment, though, was uh, a husband and the daddy. Mm. You, know, you think, how does this guy pour this much out and still keep a home life going? You know, you could have easily said, oh, he's seen more, you know, just – has a horrible home life. Well, I I can tell you his his true best friend in the whole world was uh, was his wife Julie. They met in college at Georgia Southern. I think she is the reason he has a degree now or had a degree. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she's a lo- provided support. She provided support, <laughs> and you know they say the trip behind every great man is a great woman, and uh, and I can tell you Julie is that. We, like Judd said, our families have done stuff together. Our, our kids are about the same age. I've got two sons that are very close in age to Stan's sons. And we, you know, we've talked a lot about marriage and parent thought being dads and where that line between a buddy and a disciplinarian and a leader is at home. And hmm. he was always the guy that could, could do that right. But, um, you know, Julie was always there supporting him you know if he said he wanted to ride a bike she's behind him he wanted to run for you know fop stuff or outdoor dream he never got any grief at home she supported him 100 percent, and um they were a, a heck of a heck of a team and 
she's a special lady. Um, you know, this, this uh, tragedy of losing him hit all of us hard, but her especially. But <clears throat> she has uh, had so much grace and dignity through the entire thing. She's made it, again, not about her. She's not wallowed in pity. And there's, there's a lot of good things to come that she's uh, got in the works right now. Uh, in his his uh, memory and and his two boys uh, Luke and Levi you know they're they're great great boys and when we're around them we see a lot of stand in them they, their mannerisms uh, <laughs> the oldest uh, Levi he's just like his dad he doesn't meet a stranger and uh, that kind of surprised me a few times lately we've been around in a group of people or something he's just he's talking to everybody and just see a lot of his dad and both of them. And Stan was one of those guys that uh, he 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 never he never was uh, he never had a lack of what of the correct thing to say. I guess what, what I'm trying to say is, and he was he was he was funny that and my wife would tell me this all the time. He would pop something off, and she was like, "I'm not sure how to take that. I'm not sure if he was sarcastic, or and I'm I'm not sure if I just got insulted." <laughs> he he let me walking away thinking. I'm not sure if he meant that or not, <laughs> but the way he would say it, you know, it was just, it was never ending. You know, you never, every time you talked to him, it was going to be something like that. And you, you just, you just never didn't know quite how to take it, but he, it was always meant well. You know, he, he, he loved to poke fun mm-hmm. at any and everybody. He was not, uh, he, he didn't, didn't discriminate. No, he was, yeah, he was indiscriminate there. Everybody was going to get it. It didn't matter if it was the, the governor or who, you know, <laughs> he, would, he, he didn't care to pop off something just out of the blue. But yeah, he was, he was, uh, it was never a dull moment with him. That's for sure. He could be a smart ass, but he was our smart ass. That's exactly right. Uh, spent, spent lots of nights sitting in a truck, looking at a, a dark black field, you know, with him. And it, you just, you never, there never was a dull moment. That's for sure. <laughs> that's when you get to know people for sure. All that time yeah. spent, especially sitting there in the dark field, because that's all you got is conversation. We're just waiting on something to happen that most of the time did not happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, guys, really, I, I thank you for uh, joining us today and remembering Captain Stan Elrod and the way he lived, sharing those stories with the listeners. Um, he certainly inspired you guys. He inspires us today. So, and thank you for everything you're doing to continue his memory and his wife as well. We'll look forward to hearing uh, what, what's going on there. Great. Well, I, if, if you don't mind, I think I would be remiss, uh, I guess, continuing his, his legacy. So two things that were near and dear to his heart. And if somebody happens to listen to this podcast and they're like, man, I, that's great. What can I do? So there's, there's two organizations, uh, the Outdoor Dream Foundation. Uh, they've got a website. There's a Facebook page. You know, it's how everybody gets their news now. So mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, so the Outdoor Dream Foundation, and it's a completely nonprofit, um, uh, you know, organization that I, I can promise if Stan was involved in it, it was not to pat anybody's pocket or make anybody look good. It was for the mission intended. And that's one. And then, you know, the police unity tour is the other, um, mm. the wall in Washington, DC is completely supported by donations. And I think this tour is a large part of that. So police unity tour is probably dot com.org dot something. something but like if you, you go to the Google knows, Google knows what it is. Police unity tour. And, you know, support for either one of those organizations. If you want to 
support a game warden's legacy, um, Outdoor Green Foundation or Police Union Tour, you'd uh, you'd be helping out some stuff that he was really involved in. Absolutely. No. Thank you, gentlemen, for, for joining us and sharing. Yep, and thanks for what you do too, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six eight Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at seven PM Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.